Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, a great conversation with Kelly Moore and Ted Irvin with the late Jim Nielsen. We'll also find out from Kids Sport Manitoba with their gift of sport campaign for this year. That's all on the podcast. Earlier this week, hockey mourned the passing of one of the first Indigenous players to ever play in the NHL when Fred Sasakamoose died in a Prince Albert hospital at the age of 86 from the effects of COVID-19. Earlier this month, one of the best players of Indigenous descent to ever lace up a pair of skates passed away here in Winnipeg. Longtime New York Ranger defenseman Jim Nielsen died almost three weeks ago from a rare skin disorder, 22 days shy of what would have been his 79th birthday. Earlier today, 680 CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore spoke with Ted Irvin, who played all of his five-plus seasons for the Broadway Blue Shirts with Jim Nielsen. Yes, it was. Yeah, Cheesy Cat was there when I got there in 70, right up to when I left there in 75. Yeah. So t- tell us what Jim Nielsen was like first as a player, and then we'll get into some of those stories that only Ted Irvin can tell. <laughs> Chiefy Cat was, uh, again, as you read so many kind words written about him in the obituaries and newspaper and radio people talking about Chiefy Cat, and he was a, a quiet man. He's one of those guys you hear it with the sports people, you didn't know he was on the ice. And if I look back at all the years I played with Chiefy Cat, do I remember anything outstanding about him? No. But I know he was, you know, runner up to Bobby Orr for Norris Trophy. He was just so steady, unassuming, logged tons of ice time, never complained. And I look back, I said, my God. You know, we had Brad Park, who was quite boisterous, and uh, you know, Rod Sealing that chirped quite a bit. And we had all kinds of guys, but Chiefy Cat just did his job. And I'm looking at his stats and that, and I realized, my God, I played all those years with that guy. It was just so unassuming that he was an all-star, all-star but never carried himself as an all-star. He just said, this is my job. That's why I remember so much about Chief Gatt and some other things to uh, go into them and that. But as far as a player, important minutes, beginning of the game, end of the game, power play, you know, but you never, you know, I'm looking at some of the stats. Early years, he got over 90 minutes in penalties in the six-team league. I'm going, Chief Gatt, I don't remember. He was miserable on the ice as a player. But he wasn't one of those guys that was going to run around and you know cut people's head off. But he sure he sure paid a price with his stick and that. So hmm. for me, the biggest compliment I got about most guys is when you don't know they're on the ice and they play that many years and how many awards they get. You say, "Wow, that's a special hockey player." Just consistency, consistency, used in all situations. Unassuming, I guess, is the word. Yeah, for someone who wasn't around in the late '60s. And then through the 70s, when, when Jimmy Nielsen played the game, is there a modern-day player, Ted, that maybe you could draw a comparison to for, you know, how, how Jim played? And, and you just mentioned, you know, he's one of those underappreciated guys except for those who play with him or see him on a daily basis. Well, the way the game goes now is there's guys got so many individual skills. There's a lot of guys I like to watch, like Burns and, uh, you know, even in Winnipeg, you got uh, young Morrissey I like to watch. But there's a guy who does – that type of hockey's not out there anymore, mm-hmm. okay? You've got stay-at-home defensemen now that are truly 
stay-at-home defenseman. Rachifi was more up the ice. I mean, he got 10 goals one year in the mm-hmm. league. And, you know, so as a player, I, I think I, I'm looking at a picture right now, which I'm so blessed to have. And uh, I know you guys are doing a lot of stuff with the Bombers. Congratulations. But Wade Miller gave me a picture of New York Ranger autograph front page of a program that he had, and he gave it to, donated it to me. I'm looking at it, and who's on the ice but Jimmy Nielsen, Eddie Jackman, uh, Bobby Russo, Rod Sealing, Rod Gilbert, and John Ferguson. And Chiefy is bent. Now, Chiefy's over 6'2", 6'3", on the ice. He was, he's down, standing on his skates with his stick flat on the ice, with his stick is under Eddie Jackman's stick, the goal stick. And that's the kind of player Chiefy, you know, he was so defensive, smart, but so flexible in that. Now, who do you see doing that kind of stuff? So, so I find it hard to compare yeah. who's that type of guy. I just find the hockey so much differently there. There you got Rod Sealing, Jimmy Nielsen in front of that in front of Eddie Jackman. You're not going to see too many pictures anymore of guys doing that. But I'm looking at his flexibility. How in the heck did he have a stick flat on the ice, and he's not on the ice. He's bending over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he knows that the puck's under Eddie's stick, and, the, and Eddie has, doesn't have a mask on there. So when I look at that, I know guys do it once in a while, but that was Chiefy's game all the time, defensive-minded. He was going to deflect any shots coming and help the goaltender out. In, in his, yeah, you just mentioned, you know, he was 6'2", just over 200. So for that era of hockey, Ted, Jimmy Nielsen would be probably the equivalent of a, what, 6'4", 230-pound defenseman in today's game? Yes. Yes. But uh, the other thing I said to you earlier, Chiefy could skate. Yeah. He was yeah. one of the fastest skaters. When I got the New York Rangers, and I consider myself a pretty good skater, Emil Francis was quite a... Uh, conditioning nowadays. So in practice, it was stops and starts, end to end, stops and starts. And so you, you knew as soon as you went on the ice, Emil never talked to you at all. He just blew the whistle. I, you just knew, you know, got to do this, got to do that. But I always remember Chiefy. I got to training camp one year, and the scouts in New York always were Pasador and Berkus, so just two good guys. But when all their young rookies came in, because remember the old days when you went to training camp, the young guys came in for one or two weeks on their own, then the veterans came in. Mm-hmm. So by the time we got to training camp as a veteran, the rookies have already practiced for almost two weeks. And all the scouts were looking at their number one picks and so proud. And I remember the scouts would tell us when we got you guys, you veterans, you think you're so good. Wait till you see these young guys skate. And we got a guy named Larry Satrick on defense at Jimmy Nielsen. Look out, you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. First day of practice, you know, stops and starts, goal line to goal line. Jimmy Nielsen left Larry Satchuk so far behind. It was incredible. Chief could run from the goal line to the blue line faster than anybody I've ever seen. The scouts were so upset because this kid was the fastest. He couldn't hold the candle to Chief Cat. Yeah, and yet Lawrence Satchuk, you know, he, he scored 50 goals, I believe it was, uh, in Saskatoon in the Western Hockey League, did he not? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's what it is. I, yeah. I, I know he went down east in every house, but he yeah. wasn't a goal scorer with us. He was that. Yeah. He was the guy you knew in the starting lineup. Stop. It was probably going to be Chiefy on defense, or right. at the end of the period, Chiefy would be there and everything else. And yeah, I, I just see here they've got the Prince Andrew's Mentos. He got uh, 21 goals one year, and, but you know he got the 10. The, the thing that, I, that shocked me was the old six-team league. And let's be fair, Chiefy would have taken a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, verbally, and there's a lot of trash talkers in, and he had to play through all that. And and I'm looking, he's got 90 minutes and penalties in the old six-team league. That's a lot of minutes in a six-team league, and you were fighting 
big yeah. boys. I mean, the big boys didn't fight the little guys. The big boys fought the big boys. So I'm looking at Chiefy here, you know, and you got yeah. that. I, I tease him the big ugly nose of his and that. And he, <laughs> that, that <laughs> then he got smoked a few times and everything else, but he had a, another demeanor to him. Yeah. Later on, he was just respectful. The guys just stayed away. Because yeah. in those days also, the fencemen were very mean with a stick and very cute. You didn't know when you were going to get it. And yeah. So he got in his space and everything else, and he was tough. And Yeah, he was a big man, and he played with Dale Rolfe and tried to get around those two guys because you know, their wingspan covered the whole end of the rink. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Now, I know what goes on the ice stays on the ice, Ted, but uh, let's face it, Jimmy Nielsen also played in an era, and, and I mean, even now, there are not a lot of, there are more, but there are still not a lot of Indigenous players in the National Hockey League or in the pro levels of the game. Uh, did Jimmy Nielsen face a lot of racism uh, back when he played in the late 60s and the 70s. And, and again, I'm not asking you to name names, but just I asked that question in more of a generic sense. Yes, he did. And uh, we're, we were lucky in the obituary. It talks about the family of New York Rangers. We're a close hockey club. Mm-hmm. He faced more off the ice sometimes than on the ice. Is that right? So we were, but we, <laughs> chief for chief, we never thought of him. You know, he called himself a Canadian Indian. I mean, that's what he said to yes. people. Yes, yeah. He says, no, I'm not this, I'm not an American, I'm a Canadian. And he said it, and, and we had his back. But on the ice, there was a lot of cheap shots. And even, even with the French, the French and the English, I mean, that happened too. Mm-hmm. But Chiefy had this, he had a meanness about him that you can't describe. He didn't mouth off, he didn't drop his gloves as he had to. You just got it with the stick. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he never said a word. But you knew it was going out there. But after, he was one of the guys. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I, I never saw Chiefy as Chiefy. You mentioned you had a few stories, and I'm going to remind you, Mr. Irvin, that we want our broadcast license intact after this conversation is over. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, go ahead and tell us a, a, a few stories, but uh, uh, also keep that last sentence in mind. Well, as you can well appreciate, when I played, we had curfews. Mm-hmm. You buy that? I don't, but I, uh, I'm i being respectful <laughs> and agreeing with you. <laughs> Chiefy was a character. He had married darn fun with people, fans, uh, and teammates. Ronnie Harris was one of his best friends. Many a night we know that um, they slept in their clothing and just got on the bus with the wrinkled <laughs> clothes and... But the thing about Chiefy was that also he loved to have fun. He drove Emil Francis, who was our coach, who we respected so much, crazy. Because when we lost, Cat just skated the heck out of us. And then Chiefy would just say, more, Cat, more, because he could skate all day. eh? (laughs) And we had a couple of circumstances where Cat had to come to our room because the noise got a little too loud and... Chiefy, he'd get blamed, and Chiefy's line was, get the right guy, Cat, it wasn't me. Well, he, Cat knew it was. We got on the bus after a game, and we always wore a fedora. Yeah. And if we won, Cat got on the bus very proud, and his fedora would be squashed. Chiefy would get on there first and just squash the Cat's hat. And the Cat would say, Chiefy, no, it wasn't me. Get the right guy, Cat, and everything else. <laughs> we used to go to some of the bars. Chiefy, some of them, probably all of them. Him and Bob Nevin were great fun guys, too. Mm-hmm. And Chiefy loved stories. Chiefy was one of the brightest men I've ever met. 
he and his daughter, I'm not sure which one, were Trivial Pursuit greats. So we got in the bar. Chiefy would challenge people to play those games, and he'd just eat them up. He was so smart at words and everything else. He'd win a few beers with everybody else. Yeah. But I guess the biggest things I, I remember is when we had to go in to tough places. Uh, Boston, you know, Philadelphia. And I just know that Chiefy was there. And uh, a lot of guys were scared to play on the road. Mm -hmm. And Chiefy would make it known in the dressing room. Come on, boys, you know, let Mother Nature take its course. We're going to be okay. Yeah. And he just had that calming effect and everything else. Well, yeah, Him well, and Stemkowski had so much fun <laughs> yeah. on the ice. They'd yeah. be talking to each other, going up and down the ice. You know, uh, how's the family going? And they're playing the game. You know, mm -hmm. and these guys are talking to each other. And how's the family going? Hey, you didn't get married last summer, hey, Stemmer? And he said, no, I couldn't find a hall big enough. The game's going on. We'd say, Chiefy, Stemmer. The game's going on, you know. They were just having fun out there. And yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure where that came from for Pete Stemkowski, another, you know, great Winnipeg guy. Uh, but, uh, Teddy, I, I'm just wondering, because of Jimmy Nielsen's background, uh, and, and again, from his obituary, as you mentioned, pretty private, but some things have come out since he passed away on November the 6th. And with his, his upbringing in the orphanage, uh, in the in the Prince Albert area, I'm just wondering if if that had a lot to do with him and the mentality that he had with what he went through in his younger years. Uh, I'm not saying it was easy, but certainly he learned that the degree of difficulty wasn't like it would be maybe for a lot of other people. As I said to you, Chief, he was a very private man. I'm reading all this stuff, but he was shy in a lot of ways, and he didn't open up to a lot of people. And when he did quit, he, we were talking about earlier, he did come back and he worked for the Indigenous Society. They got him. Phil Fontaine was the gentleman I was talking about. The chief he relied on quite a bit when he came back to Winnipeg. That's one of the reasons why he was here. Right. But chief he got into the business world and got taken like a lot of guys. He had a part of a golf course down in the States, and that didn't work out. And mm -hmm. Like a lot of athletes, you know, you go through a transition, but chief he went through the double transition. Here's I'm a native coming out of hockey, and I'm an NHL guy. So he became more private. You know, we used to see him at the, uh, he'd come down to the uh, Ranger alumni stuff. Fans loved him. In this city, his community absolutely treat him like a god. Okay? Mm -hmm. But for me to read some of the things about him in the orphanage, Chiefy never talked to us about it. Is that okay? right? He, he, was, he was fun. He was informative. He was a team guy. We loved him, but we never heard the complaining mm -hmm. about this, about that. Yeah. He's proud of his kids, talked about that, but he was a private guy, and how much he carried with him, I, I said to, well, Jordy Douglas, I didn't realize that Chiefy had all this other stuff going on. Shame on me, but Chiefy kept a lot of it to himself. Yeah. And that's why you'll see names like Kenny Young, guys in Winnipeg, who stayed close, Abby and Pat McDonald. Mm -hmm. Chiefy mm -hmm. didn't open up Chuck Leffley. He didn't open up to a lot of people. Yeah. So he carried a double whammy. I got out of the game. I'm not successful. When I played Chief, he, his clothes cost more in my first year contract. <laughs> I mean, he was so dapper. You know, his cars, he grabbed the, the biggest Lincolns. I mean, you know, he, all those things, oh, he's got it together. But what he carried, he kept to himself. And I think that's one of the sad parts. The last couple months, we've been knowing what's going on with Chief. And John Davidson, the Ragers, Peter Stemkowski, Vic Hadfield, Everybody reaching out to family and Chiefy. Mm -hmm. How can we help Glenn Sather? 
And Chief, he just kept it so private. He had that pride about him, and I'm sure that was back about, you know, where I came from and how mm-hmm. I got to here to there. So he, to me, he went through the double. We all go through the transition of playing hockey and trying to become a human being or trying to be live normally. But then Chiefy to carry that, because I know that when even did he quit, he still got racist remarks. Because we played old timers hockey, and even on the golf course, I remember seeing it in that. Mm. But you wouldn't mess with Chiefy. But he carried himself with pride, and uh, that bothers me more when I see this right now. When I'm reading, I'm reading the old bitch of Ralph Condon, "Keep Your Stick on the Ice Kid," sent me the old bit, and he knew him up in Prince Albert. Chiefy was a quiet man. Yeah. We didn't know everything about him. He carried it with his community and some of his friends. But I know his respect in that community is utmost, and his daughters and son absolutely loved him. Well, and it sounds very much, I can hear it in your voice, that his teammates felt uh, uh, the very same way. Uh, Teddy, I, I knew that you'd be the right person to fill in a lot of the blanks uh, as best you could about Jim Nielsen. Uh, thank you for sharing, because I, th- I, I hope this conversation goes away in, in letting people know uh, just what a great, great human being Jim Nielsen was. Yeah, he had a heck of a cocky career coming from something we cannot imagine, going to the minors, plays in the 16 league, runner-up to Bobby Orr, and nobody really knows about him. Chiefy didn't brag about him. <laughs> He's an unassuming man, but boy, could he play the game of hockey. Kidsport has launched their ninth annual Give the Gift of Sport fundraising campaign, calling on Canadians to donate online at kidsport.ca slash gift of sport. And joining us tonight to talk about this is Cassidy Nichols with Kidsport Manitoba. Cassidy, thanks for doing this tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. All right, tell us more about the Gift of Sport campaign. So the Give the Gift of Sport campaign runs until January 4th, and it is running across the country. So we're asking on all Canadians to donate to the campaign online, and all the funds raised from this campaign are going to go directly to paying registration fees for kids who can't afford to play sport. And how many kids, if you have the number, kind of fall into that category of not being able to, to afford sports? Currently, over 30% of Canadian kids under the age of 18 aren't able to participate in organized sport due to high costs, lack of transportation, whatever it is. So it's a pretty significant number, and we'd love to see that decrease. Absolutely, because we know just how important sports can be for kids for a variety of reasons, for their health and for making friends, social benefits. There's just so many reasons why sports are good. Yeah, absolutely. And not only, you know, for like the thrill and the triumph of sport, but um, in the context of a pandemic today, it helps strengthen their mental and emotional health. So that's really, really important that we're getting kids out into organized sport and playing again. Absolutely. Once it's all safe to do so, obviously, right now we're in a, in a time, it's in this province at least, where we're not really able to do anything. Of course, knock on wood that that changes in the future. But for, for this campaign, this is uh is there a target number of dollars that is being looked at to be raised um canada wide we're looking to raise four hundred thousand dollars and with those donations you can direct it to any one of the 166 community chapters so in manitoba we have five different chapters and when you go online to donate you can choose where you want to direct that donation to and uh, where are the chapters here in manitoba 
So our five chapters, we have Winnipeg, and then we follow the same chapters or the same regions as the health region. So we have South, East, West, and North. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so this is the uh, the ninth annual campaign, and what have you learned since being a part of Kids Sport, giving back to these communities and seeing kids get involved in sports? Um, I just learned the the power of sport. I think we can really help kids create lasting memories and kind of fill the gap for those kids who are sidelined and want to join in but don't have the means to play. So um, it's been amazing to see the power of sport and how it can change lives. I know for me personally, I grew up playing sport. I had so many fantastic opportunities. So since coming on board with Kids Sport, it's been so fantastic to see how lives really can be changed through sport. And I'm sure you've seen firsthand as well, just the, whether it's whatever sport it is, just the amount of fun that's being had with kids finally getting a chance to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always a blast to get out there with your teammates, um, learn something new, just get out there and be active. You know, it's so important for kids to make those connections um, and kind of build those connections in their own communities through sports. So what other things does kids sport do? Maybe looking at a world where there isn't a pandemic going on, but what does kids sport do in the community uh, outside of organizing funds like this? So kids sport also hosts a couple different camps. So often um, we have a soccer camp with uh, Olympian Desiree Scott, who's a kids sport ambassador. We also host a Doug Brown camp for uh, football. Um, he's also an ambassador. So we hold different various uh, events around in the community and try to raise really as much funds as we can so that we can maximize the amount of kids in organized sports. And how has the pandemic affected what you do at all, if it has? Um, it's It's largely affected what we do. I mean, our fundraising has been a challenge this year. Most of our events have been cancelled, so we weren't able to host any of our marquee events, which bring in thousands of dollars. So fundraising has been difficult, and we've also seen a decrease in kids playing sport. I think some parents are a little bit nervous about enrolling their children in sport, and we have seen lots of cancelled seasons. So it's been a challenge this year, but we hope with this campaign, we're able to get some strong fundraising and be able to fund more kids again. And uh, again, the place people go for more information is where? Kidsport.ca slash gift of sport. All right, Cassidy, I appreciate you coming on tonight to talk about this and good luck with the campaign. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good evening. You too. That is Cassidy Nichols. She is the provincial coordinator for Kidsport Manitoba. Again, the website kidsport.ca slash gift of sport. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?